All right, welcome everyone to First Principles Podcast, the podcast that is dedicated to covering all subjects that are related to environmental issues and breaking them down from first principles, of course. Today, we are going to be focusing on, what are we focusing on, Elliot? You want to remind me real quick? <laughs> we are focusing on eco-anxiety. Eco-anxiety. Now, this is a topic that we touched on briefly in a previous podcast of ours that is unreleased, but if it is released by the time that we release this, we'll add a link to it that touches on it briefly. But anyways, eco-anxiety, that's a term that's been coined recently. I believe it was as early as 2017. That's right, yeah. That it had been... Um, you know, officially coined as a term that's to be used in colloquial term terminology, mm-hmm. and my psychologist, it's my psycho- yeah, the American Psychological Association, yes. I believe, yeah. right? So, what is it? It is an anxiety that people feel towards the impending. Uh, environmental catastrophes that we are constantly being told are among us that are about to happen via our media, via our, you know, uh, politics. There's a lot of kind of, um, in recent times anyways, there's been more of a focus on kind of the impending doom element of things. And I think that might be one of the biggest contributors to this whole feeling that's been traversing the, the culture as a whole. But uh, before we jump into things, I don't know, what, what, what are your thoughts on uh, this, Elliot, uh, before we get too deep? Like, yeah. From the uh, get-go. One thing I should say off the bat is that you know eco uh, anxiety the term came about recently 2017 around there but i mean this is this feeling of anxiety towards uh the environment um and the potential doom associated with it uh yeah, it's been around longer than that for sure um and uh it's i think you know maybe heightened in recent years because the you know the the narrative around it has has become mainstream well mm-hmm. at least the doom and gloom part of it in many ways has become mainstream and there's a lot more younger people hearing this message and uh freaking out a little bit rightly so and it's not just young people it's you know all ages are um you know suffering at times from eco-anxiety um, but I thought it was interesting that uh, psychologists, or at least some experts, uh, think that eco-anxiety is a healthy reaction to the information that we're being told about environmental you know, catastrophes that are, are coming. Um, and that, uh, you, and you know, don't think that's the case? I know. I think that's, I mean, that makes sense because as they put it, you know, it's, it's something, this environmental catastrophe is something that is, you know, threatening our existence. It's an existential threat. And, uh, if we weren't to get anxious about that, I mean, what's, what's driving us then become the question. I think it is problematic if anxiety is, you know, just the way you, uh, feel like it is the way you, uh, the negative feelings you're getting from it. But if it can be used as a positive force, which we can, we'll talk about a little later, like ways you can cur- use those feelings of anxiety and, and channel them 
to do, to do productive things, then you um, can alleviate some of the negative feelings of anxiety, I would say. Yeah, I think, um, you know, really, we did a bit of a survey of um, j- just some journals, some newspaper articles, some magazines that are talking about it, and uh, just some of the advice also from YouTube videos and whatever, you know, we amalgamated a bunch of information that we read about the subject. And a lot of the advice, yeah, really was focused on, you know, taking control of things in the sense of what can you do specifically to control this subject and what can you take in your own hands so that you can do and, you know, not necessarily always be worried and anxious about what everybody else is doing because at the end of the day we can only control our own actions and we can only control what we are capable of we can always worry and you know wonder why isn't somebody doing x when y is a huge issue why isn't everybody using non-plastic straws when we know that that's a big issue right plastics with single-use plastics or whatever somebody might have that type of thought but at the same time again it comes down to what can you do as an individual which i think is you know a good takeaway you know despite the fact that there's a bunch of negative stuff that's coming out of it into and permeating into uh the culture and into the minds of the youth i think the notion that we can empower ourselves by taking action from as an individual i think then that's that's a good thing that can potentially come come out of this thing absolutely i think that like anybody who feels that the information they're hearing about uh environmental issues um climate change um has a large amount of uncertainty associated with it um you're absolutely right and i think as humans we don't deal well with uncertainty like you were pointing to before we crave control and that's why sometimes we think uh we get into these problems um where we we want to control other people you know other people's actions we don't understand that but it's very good to adopt the philosophy that you are not in control of anybody else but yourself and it isn't through your own actions that you can do the greatest good for your own sanity and for um the world i think when you take the time to reflect on your own actions and see what you can do better going forward and and this is in you know this is different for every individual i think that like but first you need to define what it is that's getting you anxious and look at the way which best suits you that you can act on 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 these topics that are making you anxious some people choose activism getting out of the street and you know, in, in different forms, some people find it easier woke just culture. to, yeah, woke. <laughs> it's woke. Yeah. And you know, that, that stems from, I'm sure you know, people feeling anxious about different things, you know, what's driving it, you know, a lot of different emotions. But uh, I would think that, um, for other people, you know, being out there protesting is not what is going to be best for them what might be best for them is talking about it with their friends. That's like what was important to them in terms of like what they think they can, what kind of changes they can make in their lifestyle that will reflect the way 
they would want to live and the world they want to see in the future. Because just any small steps that you can start making today, tomorrow, can have profound you know, implications on the future. Um, I think uh, it's like practice what you preach, but if you're not even preaching it, practice what you know you would preach. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Is that practice what you would preach? Okay, uh, what you would preach if you were a preacher? Okay, yeah, yeah. okay, okay. I like yeah. it. I like it. <laughs> well, okay. I, I mean, I guess ultimately, all that to say, there are some good things that have come out of it. Where you know, it's leading back to people towards the notion of taking control of their own lives and not feeling completely powerless because I guess that's the main issue that people are having is mm. that it's, um, this eco-anxiety is part of it is caused by a sense of powerlessness from the potential impending doom from our environmental crises that are upon us. And because the implications are so grave, we feel powerless, but then the whole question is, can the individual have the power to make a change? I believe yes. I believe that there is um, good, uh, a net benefit that each one of us can try to put forward and then that accumulates and compounds and sums among all of us. Snowballs. It's snowballs, it's yeah. snowballs, definitely, right? Um, you have to be the change that you seek, right? That's some cliche shit, but I think there is some wisdom in there, some wisdom sure. to that. But you know, considering all the potential good things that can come out of it, I just want to touch on real quick, like what are some of the like more so well, weird or whack parts of eco anxiety? Like I don't mm. know, there's a lot of stuff that we read that was kind of oh yeah, I don't know. For me, anyways, it was a bit like you know, like let's look at some of the. Uh, things that we looked at from what was it the washington post no the guardian so they had an article on eco anxiety and one of the topics that they touched on was jet anxiety and it was essentially talking about how swedes had decreased the amount of time that they spent traveling due to a collective guilt that is I guess permeating through their society where they feel bad for spending uh, energy traveling via fuels because of course you know aviation transportation that's one of the um, or it's it's a potentially very large source of greenhouse gases because you're burning fuels in the atmospheres all that kind of stuff but it's just kind of like you know should people feel bad about being able to travel and see the world i mean in a sense i mean th something i just thought of right now well we all know the great story of steve jobs and how he traveled to um some temples in southeast asia when he was first some buddhist temples i should say when he was first on his journey to start apple right i don't know if you heard about no, that i never heard this. but yeah yeah he spent like a year or so I forget what the exact time frame was, but in his early stages of developing Apple, he took some time off. He traveled to um, some uh, countries in Southeast Asia. I forget which one specifically, but he essentially kind of took a, uh, what's the word? A pause kind of from, from life. He just wanted to explore things, mm. his motivations, that type of stuff, and live by Buddhist um, 
practices, daily traditions. And through that, he was able to somehow come to the idea of Apple and developing that company. And, or mm -hmm. he's attributed that part of his life uh, strongly to his development of Apple. Now, I mean, can we say that airline travel has negative impacts in terms of the fuel that is spent? Okay, sure, yeah, fuel is burned, it generates carbon dioxide and stuff. But, you know, when you look at a, some anecdotal stories such as that, right, like this travel that this man took was so instrumental in his life that it is one of the things that he's attributed greatly to the success and the founding uh, principles that Apple was built on, which is now one of the most um, wealthiest, if not the wealthiest, uh, you know, company and beloved con company in the world. So it's like, hmm. okay, <laughs> if maybe he felt, maybe if Steve Jobs had felt guilty about traveling across the globe on a plane to Southeast Asia or whatever to gain certain perspective and enlightenment on the world, then maybe he wouldn't have had Apple nowadays, which, you know, yeah. for some people, maybe that would have been a good thing, you know, for all the Apple, <laughs> <laughs> for all the yeah. Apple naysayers, but it would be a very different world though. You know, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I don't know what your thoughts on, are on, on that. Like on that no, that's an interesting perspective. Um, I think that another perspective to consider when you hear about the or hear from these articles that nitpick certain um, sectors or certain um, uh, technologies is that you got to look at the perspective of how much is this um, you know company sector actually uh, contributing to the overall. Uh, CO2 emissions that are happening, right? So if you just simply look at the United States, transportation, uh, the emissions from transportation of greenhouse gases uh, only makes up about 30% of their sectors, 30% uh, of all all emissions, right? And then of that, in that transportation subfraction, there are it's divided into cars, you know, trains, planes, they're all subdivided, right? So it seems very hypocritical to point fingers at one specific area because granted jet planes you know emit more co2 per trip probably than your your car a car would um but that is absolutely no reason to create in my opinion uh social uh basically pressure or in the form of shaming people to avoid using uh, airplanes. Um, you, we pointed out the fact that you, you're really potentially limiting people from um, discovering incredible things if you if you are limiting their travel. I mean, yeah, like let, was, let's take that yeah. real quick. Sorry, sorry, cut you off. Sure. I just yeah, had no, this cool. idea in my head. But uh, what if we were to take that to its like extreme, like logical conclusion, where it's like, we, okay, well, you know, taking the bus that requires you know carbon fuel to be spent taking your car that's carbon fuel to be spent taking the the um the airplane that requires carbon fuel to be spent so then mm. what, what's the logical conclusion that therefore do not take any of those vehicles and just stay lock yourself up in your home and get know, a horse and buggy get a horse and buggy <laughs> not even not even that because they you know uh, they fart they fart <laughs> and uh, leave uh, doo-doo on the ground so that's also emissions, I guess. So yeah. it's like, just don't 
do anything just because there's environmental emissions associated with it. I mean, that's kind of like a extreme of it, but mm. yeah. However, I think there is something to be said to utilize tools uh, the best you can. So right. people, uh, and I hear this at the company I work for, um, you know, to talk about what don't, do you really need to do a face-to-face meeting if it requires a bunch of travel for business or whatever? Can you get away with doing a Skype meeting? Can you get away right. with doing a conference call? These are ways, you know, you have to judge the merit and value of, of making a trip versus yeah. using technologies like FaceTime and Skype to to do these type of meetings. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's smart. And I think that's important to get out there too. It's like, yeah, maybe all the travel that we do is definitely not needed, you know? Why are we commuting every single day into work if you have a job that you can do from your home? Um, you you know, I think too many employers, and this might be a get off topic, but don't take advantage of fostering, uh, you know, a work environment that allows that and trusting that they have employees that are, are not going to, you know, uh, abuse that power. But I think like if you had more companies relying on their employers like we we live in ottawa ontario which is a government city and there is a like you notice when there's a government holiday how lean the traffic (laughs) is right yeah um so and easy smooth driving no problem so nice you just (laughs) no traffic jam something that might take you you know 40 minutes on a regular day with traffic takes you 15 minutes it's a huge time and that's yeah and all a lot more missions you get from stop and go and that happens with high traffic Mm -hmm. anyway Mm -hmm. all this point being is you know having known a ton of people that work in government a lot of jobs are desk jobs that you spend most of your eight hour day in front of a computer and that really can be done from home for a Mm -hmm. lot of people um and Anyways. I think that's a that's a great example of how technology is actually going to be one of the things that's going to help us get over this issue is by solving these types of problems, such as, you know, allowing workers to be able to do what they would normally do at the office, but from their home. Right. Mm. So now you're saving on those transportation emissions from the the transport of you from your home your dwelling into your office building, right? Or um, what you were saying before, again, um, there's so many examples of how technology is ultimately what's going to help us alleviate and kind of get through these these issues. Um, But I feel like a a lot of what's being pushed out with this eco-anxiety thing is like, don't know, technology is bad, like, progress is bad that's actually what's leading to these issues it's progress is capitalism that's what's driving these issues and maybe there's a certain kernel of truth in that right we do need um, resources to develop our products but in a sense technology again that is what is going to help us out like you mentioned being able to work from home as opposed to spending those carbon carbon emissions um, driving. Uh, what else could we say? Um, you know, just better fuel efficiency when it comes to uh, the actual combustion process and how efficiently do we convert our fuel into carbon dioxide emissions. You know, like, it's, again, it's technology that is coming to the, the rescue. And then oftentimes we get the, the message of, the, the opposite of abandoning your technology via 
and the message is often directed through the technology itself, which is kind of hypocritical in a sense. But yeah, it's true. you know, it's, it's leading to other uh, talks of like, for example, um, should you be uh, eco anxious about? bringing kids into this world right the eco-anxiety is actually impacting people to the point of not wanting to have kids because of the logic of you know well why would i want to you know bring kids into such a world that is doomed or there was like another swedish study that we read about that was saying how reducing the number of children that you have in your family will reduce your um, carbon footprint by however X amount, whatever it was, mm. which, okay, again, there might be some kernel of truth to that, but what if that person that you chose not to be born, what if that person was going to actually contribute to the collective knowledge and the collective base of the um, the technology that's driving the advancement of our performance and the advancement of our environmental technology. So all that to say that what if by having more people, we're actually increasing the brain power that's necessary in order to look at these problems and actually solve them? Right, because what do we need to solve problems? We need brain power. We need computational power. And AI is great; is coming a long way, but we still need human brain power, computational power to solve issues. Right? For example, the Manhattan Project, the nuclear uh, construction back in the 1940s, which mm -hmm. led to the bombing of uh, Japan. Uh, at the end of World War II, that took many, many engineers, that took many, many scientists, that took a whole city of people in order to come together and develop the technology that would take us to the next leap. And similarly, in, in this context, we also need the technology to come together, which ultimately comes from the people. And the people is what leads to the computational and the brain power. So the more brain power, the more computational power, more chance of coming to a solution to the problem. So again, who's to say that more kids, even though uh, when we look at the carbon footprint per kid, okay, maybe you're emitting more carbon per kid, but who's to say that adding more brain power to solving this issue might not actually lead to some sort of so, like solution? You know, I think that's kind of like a, a different angle on things. It's a very different angle on things that really provides like a countering view of this whole notion that we should give up having kids because kids are actually, or more people in this world it just means more strain on resources, which just means more uh, demand on the earth, which means the earth dies sooner. I don't know. I don't know what you Yeah, no, it's that. very interesting. Um, I think that, uh, you know, there's many reasons why people choose to have kids or don't choose to have kids. Um, but to the point of, of cho not choosing to have kids because you think the future is doomed, um, you made a good argument there for why you should, s there's like some optimism. There's why, why, why is it potentially good to have more population? Um, which is a very interesting uh, uh, perspective, and I think it's a it's a valid one that um, I hadn't considered. But I would like to th first talk about 
um, you know, people criticizing technology as being the part of the problem. And I think that some of that comes from um, the history of progress, which is something like the Industrial Revolution, which was you know, a heavy emitter of dirty. CO2. It was dirty. It was dirty. It was really dirty. But it was a necessary step in this progress to more advanced technologies that have way surpassed coal and everything else that was uh, being used in those initial steps. So we're talking about development here, and you got to so you have to consider development go through these peaks and valleys. And but it, what we seem to be seeing, based off our most recent history because it's all very new. This technology advancements within the last 100 years is insane. But what we kind of see is, um, you know, now we're reaping the benefits of technology in many ways. Like, we are way better off. And I think that's what's lost on a lot of people that think that when they think the world's fucked is they think that we, everything we are doing now is headed, is making things worse in some yeah. regard, or many things are. It's all going downhill. But we actually, yeah, this is one of the better times to live in many ways um, because of the advancements in technology. Now, <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> like, honestly, like, yeah. if, if you wanted to have kids, like, now would be the best time ever if you think about it in global historical terms. We won't get into those types of statistics, but it's just, like, like if we're living, yeah, in a totally new era where we have access to clean water, clean... Um, clean what, sorry? Sorry, not clean... I was going to say medicine. Not medicine, clean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Clean, clean water, medicine like at our demand at our disposal mm. and yeah so that could we won't get into that argument though anyways on terms of no, is it a good uh, is it a good time or not compared to other times but yeah. and i don't know this deserves perhaps a, a podcast up for itself but the whole idea about um population uh getting out of hand and um causing lots of issues there's some really interesting you know trends that we're now seeing it's not the petri dish exponential growth that was being clouded by people uh if you know over the last 20 years that's going to be the ruin of us we're seeing that population has uh changed in developed countries drastically it's actually not going exponentially anymore and there are multiple factors which Again, we should donate another podcast mm -hmm. to this, but of uh, reasons why that is, um, changes in culture and changes in gender identity and stuff like that has, has can, but all that to say is that um, the idea that we're on this runaway, tr you know, we're in a, like a time where we have this runaway reactor and the cause of it is overpopulations, that simply isn't, isn't the case anymore. And I think um, that that goes hand in hand with those people that are thinking about not having kids is they think that they're contributing to this, uh, you know, catastrophe by having a kid. I, I'd caution people who think that way and just say there, you should look at some of the stuff, the latest trends and studies like this is, this is not projections. This is just looking at what is actually happening now with babies born to adults and stuff in, in different countries. And you'll see a quite uh, interesting picture unfold, I think. Wait, so, you're, so you're saying that there's uh, just you, or you're just pointing out to the fact that there's been a decrease in the birth rate in Western countries that that we were in developed saying? countries. Developed yeah. Countries, yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was I mean, 
I thought for the longest time, everybody thought or was like when you were predicting population growth, you looked at like an exponential model in a lot of cases. Um, mm. But that just simply isn't the case. And, you know, part of the reason is technology has created like clean water, better medicine. So people aren't, you know, there was not always a conscious decision by um you know, families to have lots of kids because they knew they were going to lose some, but that was just the reality. People had bigger families and they thought that it was common to lose some kids because yeah. of, you know, because of reality, the reality. <laughs> um, and that simply, um, or at least that is, is not the case in many parts of the world anymore. Anyways, what else did you, uh, want to talk about in terms of eco anxiety? Mm -hmm. So I guess we talked about just briefly how, you know, some of the solutions associated with dealing with eco-anxiety because, you know, fundamentally it's what is eco-anxiety? It's just, you know, anxiety. It's another form of anxiety which people deal with. People have been dealing with anxiety as a, as a form of um you know, our evolution, I guess, in a sense, and it's just manifesting itself in a different form uh, compared to before, right? So I guess the idea is fundamentally, what can we do? So we looked at, again, what is the, the solution to eco-anxiety? Taking control, taking control of what you can do as an individual, right? And then we looked at some of the criticisms of eco-anxiety. Well, you know, you're, you're getting to a point where people are being very uh, hesitant to even take flights just because they're worried about their carbon footprint. And maybe that's, maybe that's valid, honestly. Maybe that, that's a valid point. But at the same time, should you be reducing your capacity to learn about the world and learn about new cultures, learn about new ways of doing things, which could potentially give you solutions to your previous problems. Again, going back to the Steve Jobs example, where he learned a lot about Apple via his travels across the oceans into Southeast Asia and adopting Buddhist cultures. And then I guess the question, might be is there something else that could be done for eco-anxiety is there something else that people can do in order to um or maybe or maybe could we go in a bit more a bit more in depth i don't know because we, we we talked about can we take things into our own hands but okay what can we do what can we do and take into our own hands maybe we could go a bit uh, more in depth on that like what are certain things that people can do in order to take things in in their own hands or is that almost like a separate uh, podcast of its own or we want to talk about you know what are so okay you said mm -hmm. it's great okay take action take things take individual responsibility and do what you can but some people might be asking, okay, what what are those things? What are those things that an individual could do in order to take hold of their eco-anxiety and uh, do something towards it? Mm -hmm. Again, bearing in mind that only their actions are the ones that they can control. Yeah. I, I think, um, well, without getting to specifics, we did touch on some of the 
things that people can do um, to to take back control. Um, and uh, we talked about you know uh, you know you being uh, being uh, protesting, uh, you know speaking up, uh, uh, finding groups of people to talk about uh, your anxiety, um, making small changes to your lifestyle, which could you know we definitely could go into what those changes in your lifestyle could uh, you could adopt some helpful ones in another podcast perhaps but i think that what we should focus on in this episode is um what we're trying to focus on in this episode is just in a broad sense um you know what the eco-anxiety i think is um okay it's a i think my at this point is it's okay to feel these feelings um a lot of people are feeling them that's what also you should know uh if you are someone who suffers from Mm eco-anxiety we were talking about this a bit earlier um but we are you know uh about our own dealings with Mm eco-anxiety we haven't had it manifest in any large way in our lives but we I think found that there are there were certain uh, you know uh, forms of it that that definitely uh, influenced some of our decisions. Yeah. Um, did you want to speak to any your you know own personal experiences with eco anxiety uh, that you may have had? I mean, yeah. I guess just speaking a bit about that. I mean, I think it's just inevitable to feel some sense of helplessness and hopelessness when it comes to issues that are that big and I've definitely felt that way myself and I guess again it just comes down to just asking yourself the question okay like if this is a problem that I've seen what can I now do to actually address it and try to help ameliorate and make it better Hmm. you know and maybe that was one of my decisions for studying what I studied in my um, undergraduate degree, which was focused on environmental engineering. Maybe that's the same case for you too, mm-hmm. Elliot, um, where we wanted to take control and look into this issue. Okay, what's what's the whole deal with environmental pollution? What can we do in terms of technology, in terms of engineering, in terms of our scientific accumulated knowledge on the subject? And how can I learn from this body of knowledge that's trying to tackle this really massive problem? And then how can I contribute to this body of knowledge and take from it and use it in order to again solve this issue or contribute to some small section of it Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean and and i think that in in doing that in 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 trying to contribute you feel uh, an alleviation of the anxiety um in in some ways Mm -hmm. the other thing i wanted to touch on which is a thought that i uh sometimes have when you talk about the philosophy of of basically taking actions uh, into your own hands and realizing you are, um, you know, you know, you are the master of your own actions and um, you can't control other people is you can adopt these uh, practices in your life um, and run into the issue where you might still feel uh, like perhaps uh angry or bitter about the lack of action you see of others around you. 
Um, that is, I think, a real thing that some people who practice this philosophy run into. Um, and uh, I don't know if you have any uh, answers towards that when you, if you do ever run into those feelings. But, um, I mean, for me, I think that the 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 focus when you do think about like others and their actions that are counterproductive to yours is is real i mean i think you got to realize and this is the hardest part is um you know you you can't control their them you can't control their people um but that doesn't make what you're doing less significant. I think that we talked about the snowball effect. I think eventually that if you stick to your positive, your, 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 your guns and continue those practices without, um, you know, uh, a compromise, then you will, uh, almost always r reap benefit from that in some regards. It may come off a bit vague, but, um, do you ever run into those feelings of, you know, uh, being frustrated by other people uh, and their inaction in some regards to topics that are important to you? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, many times, many times you, uh, you can look at somebody else and maybe there's a subject that you're really passionate about and for somebody else they're very apathetic towards it and they don't really care and maybe everything that you're doing to towards ameliorating that subject they're doing everything in their hands to counter what mm. you're doing so yeah but uh, again in those moments i think in those moments of frustration that are inevitably going to come up and it's just like a fact of life that you're never always going to have 100 percent agreement with your cause with your movement with your you know values right you not everybody's always going to align themselves with their values uh or and with their values towards yours all that to say um but at, at at the end of the day again like it really just comes down to focusing on the the task at hand not worrying about what other people are, are doing because Again, that's just fundamentally a rabbit hole that never ends because mm. if you're just going to continuously look at what other people are doing, you're always going to have some level of frustration. There's always going to be something that somebody's doing that doesn't quite jive with your own morals and values and ethics and whatever. So if you want to go down that rabbit hole, that's a never ending rabbit hole. You could lose yourself forever, you know, mm. and many, many people do. And they never come out of it. And that's how you have a lot of people going through depression, whatever. Well, that's not, don't want to say that's the only reason, but that could be one thing that contributes to it anyways. Mm -hmm. um, but it, again, like, it's it's hard to really put it in any different kind of way, but it, it really comes from a knowledge that you are only the master of your world. You are not an authoritarian. You are not a king. You are not a dictator that's going to change how other people are living their lives. Okay, fact number one. So if that's the case, that you cannot control the other people's lives, then what is your option? 
Well, your option could be to either join in the apathy, join in the lack of caring of the subject and yourself losing interest and becoming disinterested in it. Or you could simply acknowledge again that the world is structured such that people are infinitely different and they will have infinitely different values. And accepting that fact that what's valuable to you is not valuable to someone else, maybe many other people, but there's typically some small group, some small subset of people to whom what your values are will jive with. And trying to, I think, surround yourself in that community, I think that that is a big step. So we talked mm. about individual, um, you know, individual steps that you can take, but then also I think developing the community around you is important as well. So it's a bit of a balance there. And it, all, the, all the talk about, you know, not worrying about the people doesn't mean to be apathetic towards them. Maybe we still need to have the community that encourages us so that we stay on the path and continue to grow and tackle the issue. But at the end of the day, we have to realize that it's our own individual actions that are going to take us to to the level where we are in line, where our actions are in line with our internal values. Our external actions are in line mm -hmm. with our internal values. And I think a community of like-minded people can go a long way towards that. But at the end of the day, you also need your own individual self-drive. And again, just the, the self-awareness and knowledge that people are infinitely different, different and as a result, they you're gonna find those people that are apathetic towards your cause, and that is that is life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, this is really taking a philosophical <laughs> twist to it. This episode for <laughs> yeah, sure, for but uh, I think it was important um, that we talked about those different angles. Yes. I mean, um, I think one other thing I wanted to toss in here, and we didn't talk about. Um, but I feel like it, it wouldn't be complete without is, you know, talking about, um, you're talking about community, right? You know, what are the benefits of having uh, a community that shares your values is, is that when you have those down moments, you're around people that, uh, you can feed off of and, um, in, in the form of, uh, and this is what's so important about this is that you surround people with positive people that are that you know represent your values and uh, respect them is that you will be more likely to uh, course correct when you are heading in a, a negative direction when you're around those people than you would be if you were around uh, people that are not don't have your best interests in mind or share different values or you're just by yourself that's harder to course correct uh, when you, uh, it's, it's harder to course correct, pardon me, when uh, you don't have um, a community around you that can help uh, you with that. Yeah. For, for real, for real. Because when your friends, your true friends, if they're real friends or people that really care about your cause and are really devoted to the cause, if they see you veering off the path, then they will speak up and they will tell you that, hey, you know what? Your actions right now, they're not in line with your values and you need to change something up. And they will be willing to have that 
uncomfortable conversation with you because that is an uncomfortable conversation to have with somebody to tell them that you are not meeting your ideal you say that you want to do x well you're not doing x you're not meeting your ideal of doing x mm -hmm. and we need to have that reminder it's like you said to those that those people that can keep us in check and again surrounding ourselves by that community that right community that's going to help us nurture and blossom that and foster that environment that's going to lead us to naturally taking those right actions without the need for the negative stimulus but nonetheless they'll be there if the negative stimulus is necessary sometimes negative stimuli isn't the isn't bad isn't the end of the world most or, often it's not it is you know? very you know it's a it's an it's an uncomfortable feeling that people want to avoid but it is exactly it is the negative uh, hurtful things that happen in life that can be the most impactful in changing who you are and growing you as a person mm -hmm. it's uh, you know the whole yin yang system you need you need to have you know you to have feel bliss you need to feel pain you need to feel you know happy you need to understand what it's feel like to feel sad and and those polar opposites mm -hmm. are, are necessary yeah yeah and surrounding yourself by the right people i think surrounding yourself but with the right community they can help us stay in check stay on the right path when we begin to veer off there they can help us stay the course they can shame us into it. You know, sometimes there's a negative uh, stigma towards shaming, shame culture. But you know what? A, that might be an unpopular thought, but sometimes shaming people into the right things, that's a thing as well. Mm. You know? Yeah. People don't like to talk about that, but mm. it's true. It's, it really is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if there's anything else we want to talk about for this episode. We touched on eco-anxiety, some of the positives of it, some of... Uh, some of the positives such as you know encouraging people to take take action and responsibility and take control some of the negatives such as the you know negative aspects of shaming which again we just said shaming isn't always bad but you know sometimes it can be bad of course um you know shaming people for traveling via airlines you know should you feel bad for wanting to travel to bali to experience their culture uh, i don't know I wouldn't mind going to Thailand and checking out the beaches and, you know, kicking it with the locals, swimming, getting some vitamin D. It's winter over here, so we could use some vitamin D. Excuse me for wanting some vitamin D. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, one thing you just brought up there yeah, it is, it is, so this whole idea of shaming people um, becomes very right. problematic uh, when you start to place it on uh, just everything that we produce. Because uh, I've seen this before. There was a video, I think, it, I can't remember what exactly it was called. It was Life of Things that perhaps was the title of it. But it basically broke down how, like, all these materials that we make, plastic, steel, all this is, uh, has this negative impact. And it also, what it did to some kids uh, is, you know, scare them about, uh, you know, like getting Lego, getting any type of plastic consumable. Um, and that in itself is, uh, toxic. I feel like that, that type of thinking is very toxic because, and it is so prevalent in, in environmental, um, culture. I feel like because it's, it's these, what's prevalent is hyper-focusing on individual things whether it's air travel or plastic and 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 saying that they're 
evil and they're amoral and using language that just really gets people, um, you know, feeling shameful about their own actions. Yeah. When if you really look at those things individually, those are not the problems. And, and, and there are ways to have all these things in a lot of cases without worrying about them contributing to the environment negatively. And, so be careful of the misinformation and shame culture that surrounds a lot of environmental topics is my mm -hmm. um, word of advice if on my final thoughts here. Yeah, uh, yeah. No, I think that's a, a good point and good way to cap off the, the podcast. This mm -hmm. was Eco Anxiety. Let us know what you guys do to deal with your eco anxiety. Do you think it's legit? Eco anxiety? Is it some some bullshit? I don't know. Hey, let us know in the comments. Uh, if you like this video, please share it. Do subscribe. Hit the bell, and we'll catch you soon. Peace. Peace.